Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Today's episode is sponsored by Try Vegan, a meal delivery plan that is 100% heart-healthy, plant-based, made without gluten, oils, or refined sugar. All customers receive eight meals and two sides for only $100 plus $9.99 shipping. They offer an exciting new menu each week that are shipped out on Mondays. Based in New Jersey, Try Vegan delivers north to Vermont, south to Maryland, west to Pennsylvania, includes all major cities such as New York and Philly. There's no contract or commitment, and you all, my audience, can save 25% off your first order. Promo code, capital L, capital Y, capital T, capital Y, yoga. That's lit yoga. Website is tryveganmealprep.com. Vince is a friend of mine. He is an amazing human being, and I have this myself. This saves me time and energy, and I get these delicious, delicious homemade meals delivered right to my doorstep. So try vegan yourself. Good movement, and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through safer and smarter movement patterns, so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Today is Wednesday Q&A. You ask the questions and I answer. Launching right on off, I have my first question from Yoga Liddy. 2020 asking please for love of stopping injuries can you talk about palm wrist finger position in plank slash push-ups so the position of the i'm going to say generally speaking i look at the hand not the fingers in particular and the hand in relationship to the wrist so the wrist joint is where uh, the radius of the forearm which is on your thumb side meets up with the the carpal which is what your wrist bones there's carpals and the the radius and the carpal together form the radiocarpal joint so that really that joint lines up almost perfectly in line with your second finger now there is the other side there where the ulna meets the carpal is is also a joint of sorts, but it's not the same uh, weight bearing because the bones are have much more in between them. They don't directly have contact with each other. So there's other connective tissue that 
resides in there. So the weight-bearing force from the ground comes through the radiocarpal joint. So I look at where the where your wrist is neutral and where that weight bearing can occur well. So and and for positions of your hands, they're going to be in in a wider push-ups, they would be out wider. And the narrow ones, like often we do in yoga in a plank and lowering, are underneath the shoulders. So the wrist. I look at the wrist being uh, level. The crease of the wrist should pretty much um, line up parallel to like the front of your mat. Then you, everybody's fingers will splay to some degree in different ways. You don't want them overly like a big splat, like open your hands as wide as you can. That's not going to be the most effective weight-bearing position. So the hands will be not as wide, but they're also not going to be if you brought all your fingers to touch each other. So it's an in-between. You want them to have the an expanded surface area that is also grounding into the, the surface of the floor. So start with lining up your wrist under your shoulders, looking at how the wrist creases line up. Often, if people are not lining up their wrist well, it will be reflected in your fingers and they will be turning inward. So I think sometimes people, I know yoga people have instructed from the fingers and that is not where you want the change to happen. You want it to actually happen at the wrist joint. So you're level at the wrist and then the fingers will line up accordingly. So that's the way I would say you want to be careful about that. The other part of when you talk about preventing or stopping injuries, the shoulder joint has an, a huge place in that as well. Even if it's reflected or felt in the elbow or wrist, the shoulder joint is often the reason you will feel discomfort or, and, and maybe even lead to an injury in your wrist and um, elbow. So not only ensure that your wrist is neutral, but that your this glenohumeral joint where the ball and socket come together is centered in the socket when you're in plank and as you lower into any form of a push-up, it's not going to drop forward. Check out the wrist, check out the shoulder, and then move from there. And there's more to be said about that. You know, you can get injured because your core isn't working well, because your neck isn't aligned. So it's in movement, what I always say is we look at the parts because it helps us to figure things out, but we can't just look at the parts. We have to look at the whole. So we have you have to look at the whole plank. Your wrist or elbow or hand or shoulder might be getting injured because of the alignment of the rest of the body. So you have to look at the whole. The next question, Tasha's handstands. My inner knees hurt sometimes in side lunges. What could I be doing wrong? So side lunges are a lateral movement. If you can imagine, um, if you're in my classes, I do them every single class. The reason why is because we need that lateral movement. Our hips really crave it. And then it pulls along tissues of the inner thigh, those adductors. So when, you, when you're talking here about your inner knee bothering you, it could be that. It could simply be you have a lot of restriction in the adductors. Very common. And I don't want to say especially for women, it's not, but especially for anybody who, women or men, who cross their legs a lot, who really uh, cross the midline and have their adductors in a mechanically restricted, shortened position. It's kind of like the hip flexors. When we sit, 
a lot, we are mechanically shortening them. We're putting them in a position of shortening. So that's why we need to do movement that gets them out of that shortening. We need to pull and open them up. And in a similar way, if you are adducting a lot where you cross over and your your adductors are shortened, you need to pull, you know, you need to pull on them as well. So those side lunges do that. Now, if you're feeling it, it sounds like you said you're feeling some pain or it hurts, then that's a different experience than just feeling a stretch. So what I would say is go slower, parallel your feet. And that might mean parallel your feet for you if uh, might mean that your feet have to turn out slightly. So I, when I say your feet are facing the same direction, that is going to be, there's a range, a spectrum, because some people, they're naturally a little turned out and that's where their hip is most centered. So you could try that is that you need to turn your feet out a little bit because that is the accommodating the kind of angle of your femur or the length of your femoral neck. What I always do is start parallel where the feet are facing the same direction and then take your fingers, your second and third finger on each side and put it in that hip crease and lean over it like you're leaning over, you know, a little, uh, an edge of a, of a counter or something. And can you find, cause what we're doing is we're getting that space in the hip joint that we so need. So we get that. And then when we move, the movement can be, I don't want to say pure, but it's, 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 pure in the sense that you're not tipping in your pelvis or collapsing uh, that space of the hip joint. If you are doing it, um, when you do it, do it slowly like that with your fingers in the hip crease and then look or film yourself. This is always good to do. And when you are looking from the side and you're always welcome to send me a video, I get people who send me little clips and I try and look at them all. Um, so I might get to it. I might not, but I'm, I'm hoping I can. If you send me a video, I can usually immediately kind of see what happens. But if you can look and see when you do a side lunge and you're looking at it from the side, what is the first thing to move? Your knee may bend like just as a release kind of mechanism, but is it moving forward? Cause what I want you to do in your side lunge is move first at the hips and flex them. And so the hip goes back. The knee is is the lever that allows that to happen, but it's not the knee going forward. Watch that because that angle of the knee going forward can pull more on the bent knee and more on the straight knee in your side lunge. And then watch what your torso is doing. Are you rounding in your spine? Is your chest coming away from the ground more and your shoulders rounding more toward this? toward the floor. If that's happening, that also can put more pressure in your legs and the knees are usually the place where you'll feel it. So you have to look at the, again, the whole body in the movement pattern and see what is happening. Are you flexing at the hips? Is your, do you, what we have say in physical therapy, is it a co-contracted trunk? Meaning everything around your spine and your rib cage is holding the position of that not allowing that to move from there because any movement up there, any waggle or wiggle up there will be felt down the chain, which is in the hips and then in the knees. The final thing I would say is that what are your ankles doing? If your ankles are not flexing well, either in the range of ankle dorsiflexion, that can generate um, pressure and that could hurt your knee. So 
if your ankles are not moving well, because sometimes if you've had an ankle injury, even if it was long ago and there's scar tissue that developed, and then you have limited range of motion in your ankle, you automatically, the pathway in your brain automatically triggers the need to move in lieu of the ankle at a certain point because the ankle just has gotten used to not being able to move there because of the scar tissue, because of the habit of not moving there and and so forth. So look at all of that. Let's see. Miss Meredith B. asks, pinched nerves in the back that flare up. What are some preventative or therapeutic yoga sequences? Well, I am a physical therapist and I am also very keen on telling people it's really hard for me to say a blanket statement or a blanket kind of therapeutic sequence without knowing a little bit more than that. Because pinched nerves in the back, I mean, I don't know where that could be. That could be, people might refer to sciatica. That could actually be a disc in your L4, L5. It could be higher up. So what I can say is that therapeutic sequences are going to be ones that always, always protect your spine that make your the co-contracted core work so that, that you hold the space in your spine. You have to imagine these vertebra that all stack and they don't stack like a tower straight up. They, are, they make a curve and these tiny curves balance each other out. But that one vertebra on top of another has space in between it, right? We have connective tissue, we have discs, We have natural space in there so that it isn't just bone on bone, hopefully, right? The disc is really what is there to help that. But also the lining up of the what's called the facet joints, which are how one um, vertebra connects to the one below or above it. Those facet joints are shown to be the the most responsible for holding um, the spine in a non-compressed state. So in theory, if your spine is in great alignment and you move with the, that gentle hold of core musculature to support the spine, and I will continue to say this over and over again, your spine is not made to move around like a, you know, um, a slingshot or like a slinky or anything like that. It really is made to mostly move energy through it. So there's, it's, it needs to have a rigidity to it. And that rigidity is not like inflexibility. Those are different terms. It needs to have a strength and a hold to it. So any kind of therapeutic thing to do is imperative. It is imperative that your the core is strong. So all of the muscles surrounding the vertebra um, that are surrounding the rib cage and surrounding the pelvis, they need to be strong. They need to be huge stabilizers. So that's what I would first look at. What is your posture at rest? How does that translate in your movement? So I would really recommend that you go and have a movement expert look at you. This is, I'm not, I'm not trying to sell myself, but this is what I do. For instance, when I have a private client on zoom, or I do a lot of the, you know, Skype, all over the world. And that's what I do is I look at the movement and then I make the recommendation from there. You could give me a diagnosis. I am going to 
not not pay attention to it, but it's not at all going to be the thing that leads my conclusions. What your body will tell me so much in the movement. There are things I can't see through the skin, obviously, like if there is a disc herniated or nerves getting compressed, but you then I ask you, what does that feel like? How does that feel when you move this way? What does it feel like when you're sitting like this? So go to an expert like that who's looking at your movement. And again, any expert worth their, worth their money is, in my opinion, is going to emphasize how you keep that spine strong and supportive and not go for big ranges of motion in it. Where do you get your range of motion? In your hips. Your hips. Get your range of motion in your hips. Do not rely on the spine for it. So that is that is the big take on, on, especially because pinched nerves indicate that you probably move somewhere in your spine in lieu of moving well in your hips. That's a very blanket statement, but it, I, you know, when you've seen thousands of people, it, it, it just, and, and the research shows it and the people that I really admire in the, in the physical therapy world, they say the same thing. You know, it's like work on your hip mobility, work on, they call it stiffening, which is that, that stiffening is, is strong. It's like, if you were to, you know, pull on a rope, if it's frayed and it loses its tension, it's stiffening, it loses its strength. And it's very, very similar to the spine. There needs to be a, a stiffening there. I hope that helped. I also got another question. Why is bird dog so hard? I've been working on it for the last few weeks as it gives good feedback. So bird dog is a a term for quadruped or one, so you're on all fours and you reach, let's say for instance, you reach your left arm forward and the opposite leg back. And it's supposed to resemble a dog that is preparing for this a bird dog that would, that's why I don't really love using bird dog as, as the term, but dogs that don't even hunt, like that, you know, hunters that take out dogs, um, that are for birding, for instance, like shooting quail there, this is the position they, they are in, in, in preparation for being released to go get the quail. That's why I don't like to use it as a vegan, but I will say, even if your dog doesn't hunt, it will, this, this is just in their DNA to have this kind of like positioning of readiness where they're like their whole body is ready to go. That is what you want to feel in, in a bird dog in the quadruped is, and this kind of goes back to the previous question is stiffening in the core. So when you're on all fours, you get much more feedback. So you ask why it's harder because you get more feedback but you also have to rely immediately on those proximal muscles to hold you. So when you so proximal is closest to the core, closest to the center of the body. So when you take a long lever like your leg and you've been standing on it, there's many things between the foot and the hip that can help or can try and help out. A lot of people will get like cramps in their calves or sides sides of their legs hamstrings, all of those are muscles that are attempting to bring more stability, perhaps attempting to bring more stability into the hips. Well, when you take the length of the leg out and get right on your knees, you now have just the femur. You have direct impact and demand on the hip. So it's way harder if you are weaker in your hips. This is why I do so much work on the ground. 
my type of yoga has the development of it came from this developmental sequence, which is the developmental patterns we had from birth to the place where we became bipedal. And it's so incredibly effective. I've worked with stroke patients, worked with anyone with a brain injury or now orthopedic patients, you know, always get them on the ground because you get lots of feedback for the brain to stimulate the muscles to contract. And then you get a lot of muscle contraction demand. So when you just get on all fours and then you start to move one arm and one leg, it becomes more challenging because you've now taken four places of base of support and removed them. So now you have one hand on the ground, one knee on the ground, and what do you have to hold? You have to hold your center or you'll droop out. So that's why it's harder because you are, it's going a direct line into, into core, into core. So they're ama- it's amazing work to do. And as again, check out my classes because we do so much work in quadruped, um, modified side plank, almost every class. I think I do a modified side plank. It's sometimes for a lot of people, they're surprised that it's so much harder than a side plank. Side plank puts more demand on your shoulder perhaps, but a modified side plank puts more demand on the entire core, which includes your shoulder girdle. So it is um, surprisingly challenging and, and you should include modified side plank in your regular curriculum as well. Final question I'm going to take. This is XO Christer. Imbalanced strength in the glutes. Do I strengthen them evenly or work more on the weaker side? I get asked this question quite a bit. And, you know, if I have a weaker side, do I do more on that side? I don't think there is a right or wrong answer. What I will say is, again, the way I structured my yoga was to, Im- to create more balance in the imbalance. So we are a right hand dominated society. And it's not just like the scissors are made for right-handed people and all that. It's everything, the way we, especially in the States, the way we drive, the way the clock runs, the, everything is kind of arranged in this, this hemisphere of the brain for the right side to be working. So we are right-hand dominant. And so the, the way that I structure my classes is that we always start with the left side. And that is to inherently balance out the imbalances. So the brain has to, oh, go to left side first. Oh, go to left side first. Have you ever noticed when you're doing two sides, often the second side, you might not do as long. It's just like, you don't even realize it. Like you've done one side and then you kind of shorten that second side. So the second side, which in traditional yoga practice is your left side, gets a little bit the short end of the stick, so to speak. So when you say balance out, if you know you have one side, um, what I would do first is when you work on that, when you're working specific glute stuff, start with that side first, the weaker side first, give more feedback. So what I say more than working more reps or something on the weaker side is you give more feedback to the weaker side because it's, again, this is neural adaptability and it's a little too complex to go into on a podcast. I do this a lot in my 300 level teaching. It's really almost all based on um, the principles of optimal movement and adaptability is one of them. And adaptability is the firing of the you know motor firing, how quickly the, you can, requ- can you recruit the neurons to fire, 
how many can require, can fire at one time, um, how quickly they can fire and hold the fire. You know, there's many parts to it. And one thing that's been shown over and over again is when you are putting more demand on something that is, seems to be weaker than the other side, it might be that it might be weaker or it might just be slower to meet the demand. So giving pro, like feedback is so important. Let me give a, a, an example so you can think about it. If I were doing bridge, which I do every single class, and I'm doing one-legged bridge, which is majorly recruiting the gluteus maximus. On, say, my right side is, I think, I don't know if it's weaker, it just is um, flimsier. It's not weaker per se, but it just needs, a, it needs more uh, feedback because it's also the side that tends to be flimsier, weaker, kind of like where I hang out more. I will put my hands on my glutes. I will um, like literally push in. I'll tap there. I'll make sure the entire kind of glute max is working, meaning um, all the different fibers. I'll give different cueing for putting the hand on the femur to give quadricep some feedback, put my hand on my pelvic bone, the ASIS, to give direct feedback from the bones, from the bones, from the front, and so the glute can respond to that pressure down through the bones. There's So there's different ways of doing that. So I would say if you know you have which it sounds like a weaker side, you can do you can do uneven amount of strengthening, but more importantly, do a lot more feedback on the side that's that's weaker. So there it is for today. Thank you so much, everyone, as always, for your wonderful questions. If you ever have questions, you can email me at Lara at lit lytyoga.com and or find me on my Instagram page and message me there. As always, I'm pulling for all of you. 